Hi lovely, welcome to Bloom Best Stories. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Kate, I'm a passionate mama of three and a doula and I absolutely adore listening to women share their sacred birth stories. This is a loving space just for that. Each week I'll be chatting to women across Australia as they share their unique, very special journey to baby. This week I'm chatting with Jackie who takes us through the birth of her daughter Louie. Jackie had hyperemesis for 35 weeks. She also had gestational diabetes so she talks about the challenges that came with that. She then went on to have a positive induction and vaginal birth. It's a great episode. I'm sure you'll love it. Jackie, thank you so much for coming on Bloom Birth Stories and sharing your birth with us. Before we dive in, would you like to introduce your family? Thank you so much for having me, Kate. Um, yes, so my family consists of myself, my partner, who I've been with for almost nine years, uh, in a couple of weeks actually, um, Bryce, his name is, and then my daughter, Louie, who is one in two weeks exactly today. So, yeah, 11 months old. Oh, wow. did you want to take us back from the very beginning your conception was that a big journey for you um not a huge journey I would say I think there's a lot more people out there that um have quite tough journeys coming into pregnancy and stuff um it was 11 months trying to conceive for us so a while and I started did start to kind of worry knowing I was still quite young and healthy but yeah, 11 months. That's the month we got pregnant. Um, yeah, we actually had a very early miscarriage on the third month of trying. Um, at about five weeks, I knew I was pregnant. I took my tests and then I went to take a digital test one day and it kind of showed up not pregnant and I was a bit suspicious. But anyway, got my bloods done and they were positive and then bleeding a few days later and bloods confirmed again that, yeah, my HCG was lowering. Um, so that was, yeah, a little bit sad at the time, but we've worked our way through it and have our beautiful Louie with us instead. Yeah, wow. And then when you fell pregnant with Louie, did you have any symptoms? Were you sick? Or- I did, yes. So I actually had HG. I was nauseous from... I think it was maybe seven or eight days after ovulation. I vividly remember working and probably two or three o'clock every afternoon for those few days before I tested, I remember thinking, oh, I just felt so nauseous and unwell. And it was really odd. I hadn't eaten anything different. And me being me, I just thought, no, I'm not pregnant. It's the 11th try. What are the chances? And on the ninth day, I tested positive. <laughs> ninth day, yeah. Nice. Were you? Yeah. Were you feeling all right about that, considering you'd had a miscarriage in the past, or that wasn't coming into your thoughts um, this time? It definitely was. I was super anxious and just a little bit on edge, especially those first few weeks. Um, I knew that my body would do exactly what it needed to do. Um, but I think 
yeah, I was just a bit anxious and on edge about everything and, you know, little cramps and little this and that just made me a little bit anxious. But, yeah, I think it didn't really stop until I had her, until she was in my arms, the anxiety, but it definitely eased off after maybe the first trimester. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, even though hyperemesis is horrible, um, that's your body letting you know you are well and truly pregnant. (laughs) Yes. I took in every single symptom. I kind of, uh, yeah, made it my positive knowing that, okay, it's all right. Yes, I'm sick, but I'm still pregnant. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. Did you take any medication to ease that? I did, yes. So from, I had all day nausea from the, seven days post ovulation until about five weeks Mm -hmm. um and from five weeks the vomiting started um and I dealt with that I just assumed that's you know morning sickness people get sick when they're pregnant and I dealt with that until I was about nine or ten weeks pregnant um and then I contacted my GP. I had actually previously tried all the ginger this and all the ginger that and the uh vitamin b6 i think it is all the uh over-the-counter things that i could um and then i contacted my gp and he prescribed me on dantatron wafers um they worked when i took them but within a couple of hours i was vomiting again and you could only take i think it's four a day um so one every six hours but I wasn't lasting that long so I dealt with that until I was I've got notes here 14 weeks I dealt with the ondansetron and still vomiting between doses and the all-day nausea was still there as well um and then I went on rest of it from 14 weeks and that made the world of difference no nausea no vomiting um maybe vomiting on and off like once every few weeks um, and I would get nausea around the time my next dose was due but otherwise, yeah, totally fine until I was 35 weeks. Yeah, okay. How good yeah. the rest of it? <laughs> oh, amazing. <laughs> my sister actually told me about it because we had uh, very like almost identical pregnancies. So she was like, don't deal with it. Like make sure you tell the doctor that it's not working or like you need rest of it. And I was like, okay, okay, like worried about medication. She's like, trust me, like dealing with HG and not taking medication is just horrible. Like just try what you can. And I asked him about it and he said, yep, perfect. You know, I was going to offer that to you next. Um, otherwise you might have to go to hospital and get, fluids which thank god I didn't um but yeah it's amazing (laughs) yeah (laughs) I think um you know ideally we don't want to be taking these things while we're pregnant and you probably didn't think you'd be in this position but no (laughs) drink water and we need to eat so yes whatever it takes right yeah I was trying oh my god I even remember going into work and I work in retail so 
it's very hard for me to just like, you know, quickly go have a little vomit. You have to make sure there's no customers or like anything like that. And one day I took a smoothie to work thinking, surely I can just slowly sip on a nice smoothie for breakfast. That should stay down. Every sip I vomited up. (laughs) Every sip. It was horrible. So I'm glad that, um, yeah, medication did work. I know for some people their body still doesn't react to medication, which would just be horrible. And, um, yeah, I'm very grateful that medication did respond well for me. Yeah, yeah, good. So, um, sorry, so when did the HG kind of start getting better? Um, so every few weeks I would try and lower my dose. So I was on a full tablet a day or night. Um, every few weeks I would try maybe cutting it in half, um, but it wasn't right. And then I tried again around 35 weeks and I did half for a few days and then I did a quarter and then. I didn't need it. So, yeah, 35 weeks is when it fully stopped. Okay. Oh. And I didn't need anything. I didn't vomit after that. I didn't feel nauseous ever after that. But, yeah, so it was a while. Yeah. Oh, that must have been so challenging. At least yeah. got a little bit of a breather before you had her. Yes. Kind yes. Of Thank God. Kind of wow. <laughs> Wow. And um, your model of care, were you birthing at your local public hospital or did you go private? What was your plan? Yes, I was in the public. I always wanted to go public. Um, I'd heard great things by 95% of people I know. Um, Yeah, so I was totally happy to go through public. I was hoping to get into the NGP, but I did not. Um. But I was still very happy with the midwives clinic. Um, And then I did end up being moved from the midwives clinic to the obstetricians clinic due to GDM. Oh, okay. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, Yeah. So when I had my gestational diabetes test or my glucose test Mm -hmm. um and my appointment after I think it would have been 28 week appointment they confirmed that I'd had it which wasn't surprising to me because again my sister had it with two out of three of her pregnancies um so I was kind of bracing myself for it my mum also believed she had undiagnosed GD with me um because I was quite a big babe and yeah so I wasn't surprised which I think some people, the the shock of GD can really get to them and the stigma of it being about your lifestyle and your weight can really get to people. So I'm glad that I kind of prepared myself for that. Um, Still upsetting because uh, I did know that it would most likely change the process of birth for me. Um, But, yeah, so I was diagnosed and... From then on, I was with the obstetrician's clinic. I regularly was on the phone to a dietitian, um, and I was able to manage my blood sugar levels um, with food until I was 32 weeks, so about four weeks. Um, and then my morning fasting level was quite high. 
and I couldn't get it down no matter the food I ate, no matter the exercise I did. Um, so I was put on a very low dose of insulin at night time to help level me out during the night and waking up with a good fasting level. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it it gets a little bit tiring, GD, having to think of the food and, you know, you can't just go out for dinner with family and friends. Um, you can't just get takeaway if you're, like, feeling tired and you don't want to cook. Um, I think that was the hardest part of being heavily pregnant and not being able to take an easier option a lot of the time. Um, and the pin pricking and the needles and all that stuff is tough too. But yeah, I think having to constantly be thinking about what you're eating is the hardest part. Mm, yeah. Um, were there any chats throughout your appointments about um, possible induction or more scans? What were they saying? Um, yes. So I got an extra scan at 32 weeks and 36 weeks. Um, and then, yeah, there was a lot of talk once I started insulin about being induced, I think. My midwife uh my obstetrician had said, um, usually if you are purely diet controlled, they wouldn't really think about induction until 39 to 40 weeks. Um, but insulin, it's closer to about 37 to 39 weeks, um, depending on obviously size of baby, placenta and everything. Um, so my scans, 32 weeks, Oh, I should add in my 20-week scan, Louis was already about a week ahead. So she kind of was always on the bigger side um, and I was a big baby again. So <laughs> that wasn't concerning to me at my 20-week scan. Um, my 32-week scan, again, she was tracking perfectly, but again, a week ahead in all parts of her body. Um, with GD babies, they mostly worry about their tummy being quite large I'm not entirely sure why um (laughs) but yes they usually say they know if uh things maybe aren't going quite right with the Julie baby I think it is is if their tummies are very big and their heads can be very big um but yes so at my 36 week scan she uh, the sonographer, she said she was measuring at three and a half kilos. Um, obviously, with scans, we all know that they are to be taken with a grain of salt. Mm. Um, but, yes, yeah, so she was measuring at 30, uh, 3.5 kilos and she was, yeah, still a week, uh, a week ahead in her growth and some areas two weeks she did say to me though tummy and head still like in proportion with the rest of her body so obviously insulin was doing its job placenta still working totally fine um yeah so that was everything with the scans and um yeah the thoughts on induction until my 37 week appointment which followed up from that previous scan 
And that's when they really started talking about induction, big baby, 97th percentile. Um, Yeah, she was going to be a four kilo plus baby by the time I got to full term or by the time I got to 38, 39 weeks. Um, And that really made me too anxious because I had done my calm birth course at 36 weeks and I had told Kath who runs it that I had GD and she actually went through the calm birth course with me being induced in mind. So she more so focused it on my gestational diabetes, the likelihood of me being induced and everything that can come from being induced. So once I got to that 37-week appointment, I actually felt really comfortable knowing what they were going to be talking to me about, which was awesome. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, at my 37-week appointment, she went through and said, um, I'll probably be induced via the balloon catheter and booked me in for a date, so 38 and six days it was so still a week and a half away which was nice or pretty much two weeks away um and she also did a check and I was nearly half a centimeter dilated at 37 weeks so she did ask me if I wanted to stretch and sweep if it was possible and then she said nope never mind not possible (laughs) (laughs) um and sent me on my way and I think I had an appointment Maybe I was supposed to have an appointment a couple of days before and I think they might have even called and said, don't worry about it um, because I was being induced within a couple of days. I think it was like I don't think I had an appointment after my 37 week. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So you were feeling good about induction and then and then how did that all unfold? Were you going in the night before for the balloon catheter? Um, yeah, so I was feeling pretty well about it. I, It's all I'd known. My sister was induced with all three of her babes, so it was hard for me to even, like, imagine that I was going to go into spontaneous labour because everyone I'd spoken to about deeply into birth and labor was induced so it felt very normal in a way for me um I went in at 1 p.m um and went straight to a birth suite and they checked over everything made sure I was fine um the balloon catheter was inserted it was inserted with uh quite a bit of um I shouldn't say force, <laughs> definitely wasn't forced, um, but it did take them quite a bit to get it in. Uh, it took three midwives multiple attempts each <laughs> and an obstetrician in the end came in and she said, I think baby's just a bit too high up. Um, so she took the speculum out and said, I'm going to have to go in by feel. It's going to be uncomfortable. But the obstetrician got it done. <laughs> and everybody kind of was like, oh, good job. You're going to do so well tomorrow. That must have been very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, which it was. But, yeah, so my cervix was a little bit aggravated after all that. And I had a little bit of um, 
bleeding, nothing horrible, the midwives said. Obviously, after all of that, a little bit of aggravation isn't unusual. Um, I was off to the ward at 4 p.m., had my delicious hospital dinner. My partner came in at 6 o'clock. It was COVID, so he could only spend two hours with me. So we watched a little bit of TV and just had a relax. And then at about 6 o'clock, I started to feel quite extreme period cramping. I do not get any pain with my period. So for me, it was very um, unfamiliar pain. Um, But yeah, it was very, very extreme. And then at eight o'clock, it really ramped up. And I rang in the midwife and she said, no, no, very normal. We'll give you some panadine fort, but we do want to wait until um, closer to when I would be falling asleep. So that wasn't until about 10 p.m. Um, I actually got my little contraction timer out and I they were coming every, the pain or the waves, I guess, they were coming every five to six minutes for 45 seconds each and that lasted all the way through till 4 a.m. <laughs> were you um, tempted to call your yeah. back at that point? I did ask, so I was ringing in the midwife frequently, not frequently, but um, probably every hour or so. She was heating up a heat pack for me um, and I checked. I said, like, should I contact, like, my partner to come back in? Like, should I be going to the birth suite soon? She said, no, no, um, you'll be fine. Um, You know, try and get some rest and just reassured me that it was totally normal. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, if this is normal and I'm just, like, here in a ward, what is the rest of labour going to be like? <laughs> <laughs> I, like, put my headphones in for most of the night and kind of just was in and out of sleep and, you know, rolling over and just grizzling and being like, oh, like, can't I sleep? Like, and I remember going to the toilet or having a shower as well earlier on in the night. Um And then, yeah, I probably got maybe two hours of sleep towards the end of the night, um, probably once I exhausted myself to the point of needing to sleep. Um, And then I woke up at 5 a.m. to the midwives uh, waking me up to go to the birth suite to break my waters and get everything started. And when I woke up, it stopped. (laughs) I had... No pain, no waves, no anything. And I was like, oh, I really thought that was like, you know, it's going to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I went to the toilet and from what I could tell, it was my mucus plug that fell out. I flushed the toilet and then I said, oh, there was quite a bit of blood in the toilet. And she said, oh, did you leave it? Of course I didn't. Mm-hmm. Natural instinct is to just flush the toilet, even though I was in hospital to have a baby. Um but, yes, no, she assured me. She's like, it's okay. It'll just be your mucus blood. Don't stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, went down to the birth suite. Balloon was taken out um, and water's broken. I was four centimetres at that point, um, which was exciting. Um, Louis was still quite high up, though. So even after the balloon and the obstetrician telling me the previous day that she was very high up. I had dilated, but she hadn't moved down still. Um, So she had a bit of work to do. 
Um, and then, yeah, I called my partner. He came in. He was there within half an hour and we set the room up. Oh, I did have the drip also, the synthetic of uh, Sintocin. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have that in. Um, that and also straight safe. after, sorry, was that done straight after they broke your waters? Yes. So pretty much immediately after they broke my waters, they did give me saline. Um, they did say that, <clears throat> sorry, they did say that Louise, uh, not her heart rate, but she was just very active and very excited. I don't really know how saline is supposed to calm them down, but um, yeah, I was given the saline drip and then yeah, also the Sintocin immediately after my waters were broken. Um, and then yeah, Bryce came in, we set up the room, um, we brought in my own ball. I am quite tall. So um, Kath, who did my calm birth, she said, take in your own ball, take the biggest one you can find and take it in yourself because your knees will be above your chest otherwise. Um, and then we just had music playing. We were playing some cards at the start. Um, just I was too excited. I just couldn't rest. I couldn't bring myself to just bring myself down knowing that things were going to ramp up. I just was too excited. I was bouncing on my ball and chatting with the beautiful midwife that was there. Um, Yeah, so that was pretty much the first few hours from 7 a.m. until 1 p.m. And about 1 p.m. I, that was, what's that? Yeah, that's about seven hours so they um asked if I wanted a cervical check or a cervical exam and I said yes please um I was still four centimeters dilated um and Louis had moved down which I was that really um uh I lost my words that made me really confident I did think that you know oh four centimeters okay nothing's changed but she had moved completely down, which really brought me back to, it's okay, she's doing what she's doing and that's totally fine. Um, and then, yeah, around just after that check, that's when things really started to ramp up a bit for me. I really had to focus on my breathing. From the start, I ensured that I was like doing my breath work that I had worked on. Um, and I really wanted to get in the rhythm of ensuring I was breathing. Um, but yeah, but around one o'clock, that's when I had to close my eyes, stop talking and really work on focusing on my breath. Um, and I was just swaying on my ball. Um, at one point I ended up back on the bed with the peanut ball between my legs and my side, just to kind of get a little bit more rest in, um, And that was the next couple of hours. It was really nice. I had my music on. At that point, we did close the blinds, turn the lights off. We had the little, Bryce and I always laugh, they're like disco lights for some reason that they have on. I thought it was going to be like nice little tea light candles, but (laughs) they felt like disco lights. They're like green sparkles and little blue things spinning around on the roof. But, yeah, we had that going and our Clary Sage Um, And we were just chatting and relaxing. Um, And then at about three o'clock, that's when I really wanted to get into the shower. I really held off 
on water. That was my big thing through pregnancy was baths. And I knew because I was being constantly monitored, I wouldn't be able to have a bath. Um, So I was really holding up on that shower. And, yeah, around 3 o'clock, that's when I recall I have to be in the shower now. I can't do anything else. Um, So I got in the shower and I was on my knees with my hands on the ball, like my arms on the ball kind of swaying side to side, shower head on my back. Um, And around this point we did have a midwife change. I did have three shifts throughout my labour. So, yes, we got a midwife change and the previous midwife was beautiful. She was young. She kind of was in it a little bit more really asking questions and reading through my birth preferences. Um, But this next midwife, she was lovely, but she kind of stood back a little bit more, um, a little bit older, and I just felt not uneasy. She was, I didn't feel uneasy with her, but I just didn't quite feel like she was in it with me not that it's her birth (laughs) and not that it's real like you know she's not my partner but it would have been nice if she was able to ask me some more questions about what I might have wanted or suggesting some more things knowing I had done calm birth or that I had a little folder there with things to do um so when I got in the shower it wasn't quite what I expected (laughs) I sat in the chair for a little bit with the shower head on my tummy and the midwife kept coming in and saying, oh, I just need a fiddle with the monitors. We keep dropping out because of the water and uh, it really got me out of my headspace of focusing on my breathing and rocking on my ball and everything and I couldn't get back in the headspace. I just couldn't get back into my breathing. I started really yelling and I just, yeah, it lost me at that point. And um, the midwife actually said my oxytocin was, or my synthetic oxytocin was up quite high and she dropped it down a bit. Um, my contractions were coming on quite hard and fast. So I explain it in the sense that my contractions previously were waves and I could feel when one was coming and I could prepare myself and there was the peak and then you knew it was ending and on the drip they just hit. It was the peak immediately and I couldn't prepare myself. I couldn't close my eyes and start counting and breathing in my head and um at that point I had to get out of the shower and I went on the gas. I, um, that was fine. I was totally happy to use the gas um, except because my contractions again weren't that wave and they were just instant peak. I couldn't tell when I needed to have the gas so that it would help me throughout the contraction. And I was breathing in the gas too late and feeling the full contraction. And then I was a little bit <laughs> out of it in between contractions because that's when the gas started to 
work. It's magic. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so that went on. I was probably in the shower for a good hour or two or hour. So, yeah, that, the gas then went on. I did the gas for about an hour and after a while I just said I can't. I really couldn't figure out how to do it. It was really getting to me. And I asked my midwife at about 5 p.m. if I could have another check because in my mind I thought if I'm close, surely I can do this. Like if I'm like eight, nine centimetres, if I'm like, you know, so close, I'll be able to do it. And I was still four centimetres and nothing had changed. Yeah. (laughs) So that really got to my head um, and I asked for an epidural, um, which in the moment I was quite upset about. And then I thought, no, it's okay. I got so far and this is just what has happened for me and that's okay. And I went back to what I learned in calm birth and the statistics that come around being induced and induction then most likely turning into more pain relief than you thought and you know um so I thought no it's fine this is what is destined for my birth and that's okay um I got some much needed rest I was numb by 6 p.m um I had some food I rested it was amazing (laughs) and then at Eight o'clock, the midwife said to me, the obstetricians want me to check as soon as possible because you are nearing a time frame for my waters having been broken and the risk of infection. So it had been, is that 14 hours? I actually don't really know what the rule is. I thought it was 24 hours, but... I'm not entirely sure what it was. Um, And she said, they're in a C-section right now, so I'm going to push it out for as long as I can to help make sure that you're as dilated as possible before I report back to them. And they all came into the room around 8.30 and midwife had just started her check and she said, yep, she's 10 centimetres and the head's right there. Oh, amazing. (laughs) So in two and a half hours or two hours, I dilated six centimetres and it was, yep, in half an hour to an hour, we'll get you to start pushing. And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Then I really kind of got very, it got very real at that point. It got very, um, yeah, it got very real. (laughs) Um, And then we had midwife change. So, Midwife number three, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and she was beautiful again. She was very similar to the first midwife, Um, younger, very focused on what I really had wanted for my birth, knew that I had done calm birth. Um, Yes, so she came in, um, kind of prepared the room for us. Um, I actually think... I recall changing my pod, uh, my not my podcast. I recall changing my playlist from my birth playlist because it was only seven hours long and it had been 
much longer than seven hours at this point. And I put on my 70s playlist, (laughs) which was like awesome, but also probably not the best music. But anyway, um, and we got to pushing. We tried multiple um, positions. I was quite numb I probably pressed the button a few too many times I must admit I could use one of my legs but the other one was actually like Bryce had to pick it up and move it for me um so yeah we um got to pushing we tried on my side first um I did know obviously trying to push on your back was a little bit counteractive. Um, so we did try on my side, both sides. Um, Bryce did assist quite a bit with pulling legs up and whatnot. <laughs> um, we also did, which was probably my favourite position to push in, was um, beautiful midwife was holding a towel in her hands. I was also holding a towel, legs up. And we would both pull the towel at the same time as I pushed. That felt um, really nice, and it felt like I had something to put my pull, my push into. Like pulling that towel was just another thing that I could push into, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, uh, but yes, not much was happening. Head was kind of moving down, but by the time another contraction came, she had moved all the way back up again. Um, my contractions were quite um, few and far between by that time. Um, I'm not sure if it's just because of the uh, drip was turned down quite a bit or um, what was going on, but yeah, I. It was taking a while between contractions to be able to um, push and the doctors came in or the obstetricians came in um, and said, all right, I think it's time for a little bit of assistance, which then I kind of did get a bit overwhelmed and, you know, everybody floods into the room at once and Bryce got pushed back a little bit and I remember yelling out to him saying, come back, like, it's okay, like, come stand back at my head. Um, So the doctor went over that he was going to perform an episiotomy, which I did know about. Um, And he said most likely it would also be a forceps delivery as she was still quite high up. Um, At this point I was thinking to myself, well, I don't want anything else going up there. I want something, <laughs> like I don't need anything else taking up more space. So I um, recall yelling, come on, come on, just move down. And with my pushes, she ended up coming down far enough that they were able to use the vacuum or suction instead of the forceps, which, I mean... <laughs> Either way, <laughs> I didn't really want a assisted birth, but I was happy that I was able to use the vacuum instead of the forceps at least. Um, and beautiful little Louie was born at 11.28 p.m. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
it was a wild last 30 minutes with the episiotomy and, you know, people flooding into the room. And um, I will say there was only one moment that I really, really freaked out and I was over it within 10 minutes. And when we should go back to the very start of when I was in the birth suite, when my waters were broken, the first midwife, so when she was explaining shoulder dystocia to me, she was saying um, the likelihood of it happening is so rare, um, but it does happen. We are well equipped to deal with the situation. But, yeah, she was just letting me know that um, it does happen and not to worry when you have a room full of people coming in. It seems very overwhelming. They'll bring the spaceship in, which is just the, you know, the little incubate like their little warming incubator for if anything happens um but to stay calm um and yeah um but yeah so that actually kind of played on my mind a lot of my labor which I really wish it hadn't of because when Louis was being born when her head came out I distinctly remember the obstetrician saying okay and get ready for the shoulder dystocia. And what? in that moment, I know it sounds just insane when I like talk it back. And in that moment, I freaked out. I started yelling, oh, my God, oh, my God, is it okay? It being Louis, we didn't know gender, obviously, at that moment. Um, is it okay? What's happened? Do, does she have shoulder, does it have shoulder dystocia? What's happening? And then they said, it's okay, it's okay, she's here. Or they got Bryce to announce she. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I just burst out in tears because I didn't think she was a girl, firstly. I was still kind of freaking out thinking that there was she had shoulder dystocia. Um, but, yes, yeah, so they popped her on my chest. All the worry went away immediately and I just looked at her and I saw how big her hands were. That was the first thing I just remember noticing was, oh, my God, she has such big hands. Um, Yeah. (laughs) She cried and then after a minute or so she did kind of stop crying and had some shallow breathing. So they quickly uh, took her off, gave her a little rub down, wrapped her up, gave her a little beanie and handed her back to me within 30 seconds. and then she was back on me and I was madly in love. Everybody in the room had just disappeared. There was like all the midwives and all the pediatricians or whoever was there just left. It's crazy how quickly they come in and how quickly they leave yes. for the chance of nothing even happening, like, you know. Um, but it is nice knowing that they're there just in case. But it was, yeah, it was crazy in the those couple minutes of being born to being on my chest. It was pretty crazy. (laughs) Um, And then as I was being stitched up, the doctor actually asked me because I was just hysterical, happy hysterical once she was born. I, um, we had the name Louie Ray picked out for a girl for ages. And I really didn't think that we were going to have a girl. And I, 
remember Bryce saying, it's Louie, it's Louie, oh, my God, it's a girl. And I was hysterical for minutes, like for a good five minutes. I just remember bawling my eyes out because we were able to use our name and obviously also the beautifulness of having a baby and, you know. (laughs) But I remember once I calmed down as I was being stitched up, the doctor who was also the doctor that broke my waters at the end of his night shift um, (laughs) was back birthing her at the start of his night shift. Um, I remember saying to him, oh, my God, I thought that you had said get ready for the shoulder dystocia because it was then he said, I'm so sorry. I really did not mean it for it to sound that way. It was as in this is when it's going to happen if it happens. So everyone in the room get ready for it. And he's like, I am so sorry, but I'm so glad that you told me that because now I'm going to rephrase myself every time I do that because that's horrifying that like people might think that. And I was like, oh my God, like (laughs) you say that to every mom. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, But yeah, so I was over it in the moment. It was just, you know, and I think it really was also because it had been playing on my mind from that earlier conversation at the start of the day. Um, maybe if I hadn't have had such an in-depth conversation, I might not have been as, you know, worked <laughs> over the comment. But, yeah. Just out um, of interest, when the yeah. midwife was explaining the uh, shoulder dystocia, mm-hmm. what were there, did she say what they would do if that was to occur? Would, would they get um, hands and knees? No, so she didn't say anything like that. Um, I don't actually think she really said what they would do. She just said that they're well-equipped to handle the situation, but it is a very delicate and, like, an emergency when it does happen. Yeah, she didn't really go into specifics on how they handle it. I think, yeah. <laughs> Maybe didn't want to freak me out any more than I clearly already was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you had Louie in your arms and how yeah. were you feeling? I was feeling amazing. I remember saying to Bryce, I'll do it again. I could do that again right now. I'll do it again. <laughs> I loved it. Like I just felt like I was superwoman. Like I felt amazing. And it, it's so crazy how like everything from before that like, you know, I was worried about, I had this little freak out, it all just disappeared. Like, and I just had the most, I don't know, amazing feeling of love and that's all that mattered in that moment and like the biggest adrenaline rush and, yeah, I just felt like I was awesome, <laughs> which I was, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so good. So nice. So um, I think we should quickly chat about your postpartum because you're now a postpartum doula. So I'm assuming that your own journey kind of sparked that little flame. Did you want to quickly tell us about that? Yes. So um, I would actually say my birth was one of the biggest things that kind of brought becoming a doula into my mind or, you know, created that little spark of 
I still came out of my experience so happy and so positive. Despite everything that happened, I would happily do it again, exactly that way. And I think for me, I thought that a positive birth only meant intervention-free, drug-free, you know. Um, So for me, becoming a doula more so was based on just creating positivity around anything and everything that you encounter during pregnancy, birth and postpartum. Um, My postpartum was, um, it was pretty good. I definitely overdid it. I was prepared, I would say, for the most part when it came to food. I wasn't very, um, I didn't really, uh, what's the word? I didn't research a lot into the types of foods that I should have been eating. Um, you know, warming meals, meals that were easy for me to digest. Um, But I ensured that I had meals and snacks available to me at all times. So we ordered um, meal kits for dinners that my partner would be able to cook himself. We ordered pre-made meals to have for lunches. I had breastfeeding biscuits and teas and all this ready to go for me. Um, I had you know, the room set up for the baby and everything within arm's reach so I didn't have to move in the middle of the night. That was my thing. I hated getting out of bed. I wanted to be in bed as long as I could overnight. Um, But I think the biggest thing was healing. I didn't really take that into account, Um, especially I didn't take into account that the likelihood of having an episiotomy as well. Um, And I didn't really buy a lot of care products, you know, other than maternity pads and all that fun stuff that, you know, you always have in your bag. But I had to get Bryce to rush out and, you know, go get an ice pack for me. I had to get Bryce to rush out and get a spray bottle for me. Um, But once I had everything in those first few days, I took really good care of myself. Um, I did go for a walk three days after I had Louie and that was not ideal. I remember a lot of heaviness happening um, and I really freaked out and I was like, okay, we're not doing that again for a while. Um, And... I think I even went out to my local shopping centre because I wanted to buy girly clothes and that was a bit of a silly move too. But I also kind of, because I was also heavily pregnant, well, I was just pregnant and on and off work because of COVID and we just had the last lockdown weeks before I'd had Louis. I really just wanted to also get out and about because I had for two years. So it was an odd feeling of I did want to stay home and be with my baby, but I also just, yeah, I wanted to experience some kind of normalcy that I hadn't had in two years. Um, I think after a few days I did start to, yeah, feel the um, the effects of doing too much 
very much too soon, far too soon. Mm. And for two weeks, we pretty much laid in bed after that. I, Bryce would wake up in the morning and bring me my morning tea and my toast and Louie and I would have the morning to ourselves, snoozing and feeding. Um, yeah, and I think in 11 days postpartum, I also recall, <laughs> it seems so silly to me now, I don't know if maybe the baby blues hit me a little bit later than most people, but I remember thinking I had popped a stitch and calling the hospital and just to speak to a midwife who was on the ward and I could not stop crying. I could not stop crying thinking I'd popped a stitch or there was an infection with my um, stitches Um, and every time I thought about it for hours I would just start crying. I went to my GP and she said, no, this is the most well-looked-after episiotomy I've ever seen. And I was like, oh, thank God, because I was doing, like, um, sit soaks in the bath every, like, twice a day, mm-hmm. spraying myself. <laughs> like, I was like, I do not want an infection. Um, and as soon as I left her office, I was happy. I was like, oh, okay. Like, and I don't know if maybe, yeah, it was a little bit of a, baby blues kind of thing and it all just hit me at once and that's how I let out my emotion was thinking I had popped a stitch Mm -hmm. um but yes so and then after that I we took it slow we started to go for walks and everything and um but yeah I have a really big family as well so that was I originally had said just grandparents for the first week and then, you know, how how could I say no to my four siblings and their partners and their kids? And so it did get a little bit um, overwhelming there for a little bit. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but otherwise it was a pretty great postpartum, I would say. I think I definitely thought I was superwoman at the start, um, which we are, but, I really do wish I had have taken it easy from the get-go. Yeah. I think sometimes, like particularly when you have a beautiful positive birth experience, we're on such a high and just pumped full of adrenaline. Sometimes we get this false sense of like, okay, like let's go out and like I'm amazing, we'll go do all of this stuff. And then, but really you just need to be at home. <laughs> Uh, yes for sure yeah that's exactly what it was (laughs) oh well Jackie thank you so much for sharing your story I've loved listening it's been really really interesting so thank you very much thank you sorry I know I can talk a lot (laughs) so hopefully you and me both Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Bloom Birth Stories. If you enjoyed, please subscribe and share with a friend. And if you'd like to share your story, reach out. You can find me over on Instagram at Kate Bloom Doula. See you next week, beautiful.